Welcome back, friend. How are you handling all the hustle and bustle of the holiday season and the new year right around the corner? Here's your gentle reminder to slow down, enjoy your time with loved ones, and enjoy the food. In this episode, we're talking about habits, how they're created, how they're strengthened, and how we can change the ones we don't want to keep. Each morning, as part of my routine, I read the memories Facebook keeps for me. There are some from many years ago that have me cringing for how steeped in diet culture I was. But most of the time, I enjoy reading about where I was at that point in my life, and I love seeing the photos of Anthony as he grows up. This morning, I was noticing a trend each year around this time, and I'm curious. Does this sound familiar to you, too? Each December, I'd start planning for my New Year's resolution to lose weight, get in shape, and finally love my body. I'd spend hours researching which diet was going to be the right one, the one that would finally allow me to keep off any weight that I did lose. Throughout the month, I would psych myself up for hitting the ground running come January 1st. I'd have all my meals planned out, time scheduled for meal prep so that even when I was super busy, I could stick to the meal plan. I'd plan out my workouts, meticulously timing the morning routine to know exactly how much early I'd need to get up each day to get my workout in before I got Anthony up or while he was eating breakfast. And then I would binge. This was the last month I'd be able to have these foods, right? So why not indulge and enjoy all the foods I would be swearing off of? I now call this the last supper syndrome. And what I didn't know then was that I was making the problem worse and setting myself up for failure yet again. What I was doing was creating a habit that showed up not only in December, but several more times throughout the year. And I was reinforcing that diet binge cycle. So let's chat a bit more about this cycle. We could also call it the restrict binge cycle. Sometimes it's hard to pull it apart and see just where it started. Kind of like the chicken or the egg scenario. Because this is cyclical, we can start anywhere and get the same result. So let's start with the thought that usually sparks this eating pattern. Something like, I'm disgusting. Or comparing yourself to a friend or celebrity. Or just someone walking down the aisle at the grocery store. But it brings up those thoughts that you're only worthy if you look a certain way. These thoughts then lead to remembering what you've learned from diet culture, the whole calories in versus calories out. So you decide you're going to cut your calories and exercise more, which takes us straight into the restrict portion of the cycle. You restrict calories, macros, certain foods, or times in which you eat. And maybe for a time this seems doable, but in truth, your body may not be getting the nutrients you need and you feel hungry, or just not satisfied. Eventually, biology is going to take over, and you will eat the foods you've sworn off of. And because those foods are forbidden, you're likely to binge and then feel guilty about it. Think of times you've put off eating, whether because you were on a diet, you were waiting for a special dinner, or just because you didn't have food around while you were out doing errands. That hunger feeling gets louder and louder. 
And when you do finally eat, you're so ravenous that you scarf the food down so quickly, you'd think your taste buds were in your stomach rather than your mouth. This is because when you allow yourself to have what your body has been asking for, it goes a little overboard, not knowing when you will listen to it again. And thanks to diet culture, you've been led to believe that this overeating, these binges, are shameful. Negative thoughts begin, and they get louder and louder, telling you what a loser you are, how you have no willpower, how you should feel terrible and never, ever do this again. So you vow to restart the diet, limit your access to certain foods, and do it better this time. That is, until the next time biology takes over, because you're hungry, or you just really want to enjoy a cookie or a piece of chocolate. And then, because you've been dieting harder this time, aka restricting more and more, you end up binging again, which leads to beating yourself up again, and thus the cycle repeats itself over and over and over again. This is what I call the diet roller coaster, and it wasn't until I stepped off of it for good that I really saw what it was. I kept thinking I was the problem. When in reality, diets are set up to fail you. That's right, diets fail you, not the other way around. Each time we ride the diet roller coaster, we're strengthening this restrict binge cycle and creating a habit. So let's look a little deeper at how habits, with food or anything else, are formed. Pleasure principle states we're programmed to want to feel pleasure and avoid pain. This is why when we're hungry, we want to eat. When we're hot, we want to turn on the air conditioner. And when we get home from a long day, we want to kick off the shoes and change into the comfy clothes. Food is a great coping tool because it causes a spike in dopamine in the brain. This could be one of the reasons there are so many habits around food. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter or a messenger between neurons. And it's released when your brain expects a reward. When you come to associate a certain activity with pleasure, simply anticipating it can cause dopamine to rise. Since we've been taught since day one to use food to cope, and our bodies have associated food with pleasure, thanks to dopamine, it makes sense that as adults we reach for something to put on our mouths when we're feeling down. Over the years and years of using food to cope, we've learned that food is a quick way to feel better, at least for a short time. Each time we turn to food and feel better, we reinforce turning to food in the future. And it doesn't take long to build this habit. I don't think this is something that we need to do away with completely. However, it is helpful to have other strategies to use rather than always turning to food all the time. Cognitive behavior theory states that our thoughts affect our emotions, which in turn affects our behaviors and the outcomes of those behaviors. These outcomes or results either reinforce or change our current perspective. So almost everything starts with a thought. Sometimes it might not seem like it because a lot of the thoughts we have, we're not even aware of. When we become more and more aware of our thoughts, we can start to see how much is really going on inside our brain and how these thoughts spark an emotion. Just in a little side note, we can think of emotions as another physical sensation or a message from our body. And since we can observe both our thoughts and our emotions, we are neither our thoughts or our emotions. That's right. You're not your thoughts and you're not your emotions. They are part of you. They are not you. 
and they don't have to define you. Thoughts are just words, words that are strung together. Our thoughts and our emotions are not good or bad. They just are. It's our perspective that makes thoughts and emotions have that positive or negative evaluation. The trick with this is slowing it down, slowing down the experience enough to begin to identify those thoughts, those physical sensations, and the behaviors that follow. Bringing this back to habit formation and changing habits, I want to help you see how most everything starts from that pleasure principle of wanting to feel pleasure and avoid pain. We create thoughts that spark emotions and lead to behaviors, and thanks to dopamine, each time we avoid feeling pain or we feel pleasure, that behavior and those thoughts are reinforced. And like a rut in a dirt road, each time it's used, it gets deeper and deeper, which if it's a habit we want is great. And if it's a habit we don't want, eh, not so great. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life and I never plan to, but it's something that so many can relate to even if you've never smoked. There are so many reasons why a person begins smoking and only a few as to why they keep smoking. One reason why it's so hard to quit is because of the highly addictive ingredients within cigarettes. And since we can't do much about that other than not starting smoking, let's move on to the second reason. The second main reason people continue to smoke is the initial release they feel. This could also be applied to eating sweets or any other type of food. Those first few times you took a puff or took a bite of the cookie, the euphoria is quick to come and we feel instantly better for a time. This is where dopamine comes in, creating a positive association between smoking or food or whatever else and feeling better. The more you reach for that cigarette or cookie when you're feeling uncomfortable and you feel better, the more you're strengthening that association. But what happens after a while is habituation, meaning it takes more puffs or bites to have the same feeling of relief. And now you're needing more to feel the same. So you keep using and keep strengthening the behavior and the thought that you need this to feel better. How about we look at it with what would be considered a positive or a desirable habit? Moving your body daily. We all know movement is good for us on so many levels. And I so often hear how much you want to add more movement into your daily routine, but you just can't make it a habit. First, find something you enjoy doing. If you try to establish waking up at 4 a.m. to go to the gym for two hours and you hate going to the gym or you're an extreme night owl, no wonder this hasn't formed a habit and it's not going to. Remember from the pleasure principle, we're designed to seek pleasure and avoid pain, so you aren't taking advantage of dopamine. Instead, find what movement you do enjoy and what times work best for you. I'll share my own example from a few years ago. Anthony has never been one to sleep late. In fact, as a baby, he woke up quite early. I learned about a 5.30 a.m. jazzercise class, which meant waking up only a few minutes earlier than Anthony normally did, and it meant I could get home, shower with just enough time before the first daycare child arrived. What made all this work even better was that I love dancing, 
and I had so many fond memories of attending Jazzercise in the 80s with my own mom. So here I was doing something pleasurable, dancing, which gave me a hit of dopamine first thing in the morning and created positive associations with that 5.30 a.m. Jazzercise class. And it fit nicely into my schedule, which increased the likelihood that I'm going to stick with it. Each time we attended class, dopamine and the pleasure principle strengthened the habit. Even when I needed to take days off due to not feeling well, traveling, or holidays, it was easy to get back to the habit because I missed it when I wasn't able to attend. I really hope this helps with your understanding of habits and how they're created and strengthened. When it comes to changing habits, we have a bit of unpairing to do with the associations we've made. To do this, I like to focus more on what you're adding rather than taking away. Before I dive into an example, let me remind you of cognitive behavior theory that posits change begins with changing our thoughts. In order to be the person you want to be, doing the things you want to do, you first have to think the way that type of person thinks. You get to have the belief system of that type of person. So often we focus on the behavior side of the equation while leaving out the thought side, which is why our attempts to change our habits often fall short. This time, I want it to be different for you. This time I encourage you to focus on both the behaviors and the thoughts with maybe a bit more focus on the thoughts. Let me give you an example from my own life again. There was a time where the only water that touched my lips was from brushing my teeth. I would only drink soda or juice. And then sometime in my 20s, I decided I wanted to cut back on the soda and increase my water intake. So I focused on drinking less soda, thinking if I drank less soda, I'd naturally drink more water. That didn't work out so well. I just drank less in general, and whenever I did drink water, I would always focus on how boring and tasteless it was. Now, a decade later, I tried drinking more water again. Only this time I focused solely on the water and why I wanted to drink more water. I practiced intentional thoughts like, water is good for me. I feel better when I drink water. I'm the type of person who drinks water. While practicing these thoughts, I also focused on the act of drinking water. I would start each day drinking 16 ounces of water, Not because that was some special number, it's just the size of cup we keep in the bathroom. Each time I thought, I'm the type of person that drinks water first thing in the morning. It helped me drink water each morning. And each time I drank water first thing, I felt better throughout the day. I used my thoughts, behaviors, and dopamine to create positive associations with drinking water when I wake up. Over repeated practices, this is now a very formed habit, and I don't even think about it unless I'm telling you the story or talking to a client about it. Let's go back to the restrict binge cycle from the beginning of the episode. Your current thoughts are keeping you here and continually reinforcing the habit. To get off the diet roller coaster, you get to change how you think. Right now, the habit may be to berate yourself after a perceived binge. And while that may not make you feel very good in the moment, it's meant to help you do something different, except it doesn't. So the next time you find yourself on the diet roller coaster, try being a little nicer to yourself. Try giving yourself grace. It might help to have a phrase ready to practice for when this happens. Something like, Sabrina says this is normal and I trust her. Or, oh, look at that. 
I'm riding the roller coaster again. Or, beating myself up never worked, so I'm letting this go. And then watch what happens throughout the next couple of days. Do you notice any changes, even subtle ones, in how you interact with yourself and food? Over time, this simple practice will help stop the shame spiral, which will eventually lead to less and less binges and restricting episodes. Let's do a quick recap before saying farewell. Habits are formed by our innate desire to feel pleasure and avoid pain. Dopamine is released when we feel or anticipate feeling something pleasurable, which provides this positive association with the behavior and or the thought. Repeated experience builds and strengthens this behavior into a habit. Habits can be changed by changing our thoughts. If you found this helpful and you want to dive deeper into your thoughts and habits, you're in luck. This is a big portion of my work with clients, and I'd love to chat about how we can work together. You can find a link in the show notes to my calendar where you can schedule a 20-minute consult to discuss how I can help you. I look forward to chatting with you soon. Until next time, be gentle with yourself, my friend.